0: Tundra Talk is brought to you by Frontier Outfitters and Century Hardware, your source for outdoor gear in interior Alaska. It's a locally owned, longtime Fairbanks business that I've shopped at since I was a kid, and they've always done a great job of carrying a wide variety of quality, proven gear that'll tackle whatever Alaskan tasks you need it to. Frontier Outfitters always stays current with gear for the season, and whether you're bear baiting in the spring, fishing or dip netting in the summer, looking for game bags and gears for moose camp in the fall, or need to stock up on trapping lures, get a new spud bar, or just need some bait for your winter burbot sets, they've got you covered. They always carry a wide variety of Alaskan-proven clothing and boots, camping gear, meat processing supplies, lots of guns, ammo, reloading and shooting supplies, as well as gun safes. Downstairs in Century Hardware, you'll find your snow machine and ATV accessories like sleds and hitch pins, gun boots, hot grips, as well as a full selection of marine and boating parts and accessories. They really go out of their way to stock quality, useful equipment, and it's truly one of those great hometown sporting goods and hardware stores that every town needs to have. Whether you're gearing up for a hunting or fishing trip, working on that never-ending home improvement project, or you just need to rehandle an axe, it's usually a one-stop shop. Frontier Outfitters is located on 3rd and Olds Dees in Fairbanks, and they have a second location out in North Pole, so make sure you stop in there and tell them you heard about it on Tundra Talk. This episode of Tundra Talk is also brought to you by Hedgecock Group Real Estate, a local brokerage that can cover your real estate needs in the Fairbanks area, whether it's residential, commercial, or just undeveloped property. The Hedgecocks have been active in the Fairbanks and North Pole real estate market since the early 80s and have put together a team that really reflects the diverse needs of homebuyers in interior Alaska. With a brokerage team made up of multi-generation Fairbanks locals, transplants, and military veterans, they really understand the unique aspects of living in the interior and what that means when it comes to shopping for a home in general, buying land to build a home, and they also understand the situations that many military members are in when needing to buy or sell a home in Fairbanks. This is really a unique place to live, and whether it's learning why some houses have water holding tanks instead of wells, how much it'll cost to heat a given house, or just what recreational opportunities are close by, they're here to help you. More than simply acquiring or building a piece of property, they can help you find the right property in the right place and help you learn from their experience. The Hedgecock Group offices are on Noble Street in Fairbanks, and if you want to get in touch with them, visit www.fairbanksakhomes.com. that's how you do it all right welcome back to tundra talk everybody i'm tyler Freel. happy this evening to or i guess afternoon it feels like evening um sit down with mr robert coker i've been trying to Intending to link up with him for quite a while, professor here at UAF and avid hunter and just a pretty interesting, interesting person all around. I'm happy to have you on, Robert.
1: Thanks, Tyler. Or Rob. Likewise. What?
0: Because I always, I always chat with you, but it's yeah. been, it's been forever since I run into you. What do you go by or again?
1: Well, I go by Trey. Trey. That's right. Okay. Yeah, so I'm the third. I
0: figured I'd just yeah just ask instead of pretend like I knew and
1: get it wrong. Yeah. Just don't call me Bobby. Bobby, (laughs) no, don't worry about that.
0: But yeah, so, uh, yeah, I actually, what, the first time I met you in person, because you and your wife were doing seminars down at, in Anchorage at the, um, Alaska SCI banquet. That's right. Um, right before mine Mm -hmm. on some of your guys' studies. You guys are both in the same field, which I guess we'll get into. I probably shouldn't get too far ahead of myself, but, uh, so, um yeah so we've i mean communicated for a couple of years and um i'm trying to think of where to start i'm so bad at this <laughs> still you think a guy would get better but um usually what i'll, I'll ask folks um like what I don't know, i'd like to hear like some of your backstory and i've heard a little bit of yours but mm-hmm. it's all some new info and like what got you up here what got you into hunting that type of stuff just yeah
1: yeah well um you know like a lot of people uh just kind of dreamed about coming to alaska for a number of years in fact you know when i was a little kid i would get outdoor life magazine Field and stream whatever and i'd read these stories and i was just fascinated by it you know but um growing up in northern georgia uh, then i went and did my uh, graduate work at university of mississippi uh, then did a fellowship in nashville at vanderbilt for I don't know, three and a half years. Ended up in Arkansas for 12 years at the medical school there um, doing research in department of geriatrics or a clinical department or whatever. Yeah. And so I kind of run the gamut of all these southeastern uh, opportunities for, you know, hunting and fishing and what have you. And all those states have, you know, great resources. Uh, yeah. In fact, I really grew to love Arkansas. Uh, there's a lot of big game hunting opportunities. I mean, at least for, you know, for deer, I ended up getting my first black bear there.
0: Nice. Well, there's some, from what I hear, some of those Southern states have like a lot more opportunities than people would think they had, which they probably don't want other people knowing that, but.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To some extent. And then, I, I kind of cut my teeth on waterfowl hunting when I was a student at Mississippi. Yeah. And did a lot of that in Arkansas. Uh, if there's anything that I really miss, besides, some of my family members and and friends uh down Nobody south. he said some. Yeah. <laughs> um it it would be the the waterfowl hunting. Um you know, it's it's uh it's it's something that I really grew to to enjoy.
0: Yeah, I and I didn't I couldn't say I got really into it, but you know, as I was coming up, you know, in early teenage years, but right but immediately before moving up here, I was starting to get into into goose hunting down -hmm. where i grew up in colorado there was some resident geese but you'd always get some winter influx and that was all that was always a lot of fun i never did get real into duck hunting but um i probably would have if i if i stuck with it but yeah i i I definitely hear you there because that was something i mean i did it a little bit the first year or so i was up here but there's just at least around Fairbanks, there is some waterfowl opportunities to be had, but everything happens. If you want to do that, everything happens right in during moose season.
1: Yeah, it's a short window, and and it's difficult to access yeah. the areas. I mean, relatively speaking, mm-hmm. like when in Arkansas, I could we lived east of Little Rock, and I could uh, walk out and uh, be you know pitching decoys in ten minutes, you know, from from walking out the door. Oh man! And so it's just so convenient, and I mean, I could I could go hunting in the morning. And usually do pretty well, yeah. be back at the house, get dressed, go to work and be at work at nine, nine thirty.
0: 30, yeah. you
1: know, and some, sometimes earlier, you know, just the, the convenience of it and not, not just the convenience, but convenience matched with high quality. Yeah. It was truly exceptional. Yeah. And so I was hunting 60 day season. I'd hunt 40, 45 days, you know, working a full-time job that, you know, you have to have everything lining up yeah. right to do that.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Did you, did you find, when you came up here, was it kind of a shocker to you? I know it was to me because it was similar for us. Like a lot of the hunting we do, you know, if you were goose hunting, you know, you'd take you 20 minutes to drive to mm-hmm. where you were hunting and put decoys out. Or we we're also big into c- calling coyotes and, you know, calling coyotes, that's pretty much it mm-hmm. down where I grew up. But uh predator hunting, it was the same deal. You know, you, you get up a little early and go and you can hit different spots every day and and one came up here just you would think it would be a paradise for it but it's kind of not you know there's like some root you know whether it's waterfowl or i'm sure predator hunting too like there's some specific spots and places where you can have just unimaginably good hunting mm-hmm. but it's not the same as down in the state. It'll the, the like the whole picture is a lot easier in spots down in the States. You just you know, predator calling up here, it's you know, there's some guys that get good at it, but guys that have a good day up here is nothing compared to a good day, mm-hmm. you know, down in in spots down in the States or you know, in like Alberta or, or some of those places where there's just super there's a lot of infrastructure to get around in their super dense predator populations. It just seems like uh, the whole, I don't know, the whole theme of hunting up here is logistics and it's a pain in the ass to get anywhere where the good hunting is.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a combination of the, the fact that game concentrations are so much different yeah. here uh, than down in the States. Yeah. And Not only that, but the road system, the limited road system counterintuitively, Uh, concentrates the the pressure. Mm -hmm. Uh, You mean, 40-mile herds, perfect example. Oh, yeah. And the the caribou there, the game concentrations are there, but then the hunter concentrations are also there. That's much, much different than what you typically see in the states. I mean, some exceptions are uh, the public uh, waterfowl hunting areas in parts of Arkansas can get exceptionally hot, and, you know, everybody and their brother and the rest of the family's there, you know, and that's kind of ridiculous at times, but... Yeah, up here it's much, much different. In fact, when we thought about coming, Ken Vorsack, who you probably know, yeah, Ken, yeah. and you know, we talked with both of them a pretty good bit, um, you know, on the telephone, and he said, "Well, the the main thing you have to recognize is that every hunting experience in Alaska, generally speaking, if it's going to be high quality, is going to be an expedition." Yeah, and that's the you've got to wrap your head around that, and if you're okay with it. Then you'll be fine. But if that's mm-hmm. very frustrating to you, well, you're just going to be frustrated. And that yeah. was excellent advice.
0: Yeah. No, I would. I would definitely. Yeah, that was probably really, really good preparation. It was a. Yeah, it was a shocker to me, based on what I what I was. Now I wouldn't trade it for the world. Now, but uh, yeah. now I'm kind of tuned into it. But there's definitely a learning curve. You know, it's. Uh, and I don't know. Even you know through I mean stuff like the podcast, you try to try to like. Tell people this and give them like good information, know what to expect. Without, but you know, you still gotta put the work in to, to chisel out your own spot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it yeah, can exactly. be kind of cutthroat, but uh, but yeah, and also uh now what you spend a lot of time in school, way a more. Bit.
1: Than,
0: <laughs> but <laughs> so what, like what, what, what stuff? Uh, how can I say that without sounding way more simplified than it is like what are your like areas of study and expertise and what like got you interested in doing that
1: um well you know i like learning and i think that that sounds a little bit hokey or a little bit geeky but you know at the at the end of the day if you're a hunter and a good hunter then you better enjoy learning Mm -hmm. because you're going to spend a lot of time doing that some of us more than others uh and i i learned i guess when i was or figured out when i was Uh, maybe a junior in college that i was really fascinated by how the human body adapted Mm -hmm. to to stress and then i figured out that you could actually get enough education to where you could become a professor and then study those things yeah and actually get paid to do it um and so once i became aware of that i was like okay i want to do my phd and a good number of people thought, "Oh gosh, she's going to be a professional student. And he's not yeah. going to finish." <laughs> and then I did my fellowship, and they really thought, "Oh, he's yeah. you know, fellowship is, is is a fancy word for cheap labor." Yeah. Uh, but it gives you an opportunity to dive even deeper, um, mm-hmm. and I say that in jest. But actually, I really I learned so much more during my research fellowship because you're just focused on uh, these things that are very interesting to you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, not to get into the, the depths of that necessarily, but one of the things that we're really interested in is, you know, how does your body maintain its av- availability to provide glucose during exercise? You know, mm-hmm. you soak it up a lot quicker yeah. when you're moving. You know, how does that just automatically regulate itself? Yeah. And so that really was a, 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 an intense focus of mine during that research fellowship. And then after that, I mean, that kind of laid the foundation to to study a lot of different things in metabolism or related to metabolism. And most of my career has been focused on interventions that help people who may be at risk for a particular disease, especially um, metabolic disease, like yeah. heart disease or
0: not like or, everybody invites them into a room and they're sitting around, but no. yeah,
1: yeah. No, but, but you know, yeah. they, they either go through some kind of dietary intervention mm-hmm. or some kind of physical activity intervention or both or a pharmaceutical intervention and how do those things work and what's most effective. And so I spent a you know over a decade doing a lot of that work, and I'm still uh, focused on that. In fact, you know the trial that we were talking about when it just came in the shop that we're just now getting back up and running after this COVID thing hit uh, and still hitting. Yeah, uh, is focused on how to help older people maintain their muscle. Uh, because you know it's it's not about showing off your muscles necessarily it's about being able to do the things so you can, so that you can remain independent or yeah. functionally independent and so that's become a real interest of mine uh, well
0: and you know. is that basically tied into what you were recently um um were posting about the the studies of like hibernating animals Absolutely. and how how they maintain like they can chew on their fat stores without like becoming Um, without losing all their muscle mass
1: yeah exactly when we were uh, or when i was at arkansas and we did these studies these bed rest studies is what we call them where healthy older people would you know we recruit these individuals for the study and they would come in and uh, have to undergo 10 days of strict bed rest and so i mean literally they're not getting out of the bed for 10 days and older people lose their muscle three times as fast as young people under those circumstances and that's a big problem because, you know, you go into the hospital or whatever and something goes south, which I don't really like that, uh, that phrase very much, <laughs> but, but something goes in, in a negative direction. Something goes uh, to California. Yeah, yeah. Sorry or, if anyone's you know, listening from California. <laughs> you know, fit, fit in whatever geographic location yeah. you want to pick on. But um, the point is, is if something goes in a negative direction... Uh, from from a clinical standpoint, the individual ends up spending more time in bed. Mm-hmm. And if they're older, that makes them more likely to fall below what we call the, the, uh, the disability threshold. Yeah. And once you fall below that disability threshold, it's very, very difficult to get back, uh, you know, get back above it. Yeah. And, and it's more difficult for an older person. You might say, well, gosh, you put these older people in bed for 10 days and all this stuff happened. What you, and that's, not necessarily ethical yeah well we took every one every one of those individuals and put them through a rehabilitation program a physical rehabilitation rehabilitation program um such that their function <clears throat> either returned to normal or is above normal and in some individuals it took as much as three months for that to happen and so it illustrates what i just said illustrates the you know how important or how much how much of a practical application there is to that that type of scenario. And
0: yeah. Figuring out some way to prevent that kind of decay.
1: Yeah. Because we've all had family members that, you know, they might be in a hospital for a while and they come home and they can't necessarily take care of themselves as well mm-hmm. as they used to. Well, that's part of the reason why. And then this, this clinical trial that we're working on now, we've developed this meal replacement that has a unique profile of, of nutrients mm-hmm. uh, that can hopefully help mitigate some of that muscle loss.
0: No, oh, nice. Now, and I mean, there's probably a whole, you could probably extrapolate like a whole different set of applications for, uh, you know, like a meal replacement or, I mean, there's a whole world of applications where
1: you Absolutely. muscle
0: loss. And would that tie into, cause your other study that you were doing, you guys were doing the presentations on were the, um, study, and forgive me if I'd like <laughs> misspeak about or anything, but about how, uh, I mean, how like hunting, say backcountry hunting that's cliche but literally like hunting in the field is like good for your body and how it changes your you know your metabolism and eating wild game as well like how that affects your body i'm, I'm tempted to like try and throw some no, <laughs> some <no>. fancy <clears throat> shit out there and it's not it's gonna end up being bad
1: no it's um you know the the point that you're making, or the the question that you're kind of kind of trying to, I think, bring up is, is that how does backcountry hunting, or how do some of these other things relate to what we've just been talking about? And you know what we've been talking about is is research that I've been focused on that's largely funded from the National Institutes of Health, which these are all grants that are extremely competitive. Mm-hmm. I mean, only five to ten percent of the applications are awarded. So it's it's almost as bad as trying to get a sheep tag, you know, in the toke management area. Yeah, not quite, not, that, not bad. quite that bad. Not <laughs> quite that bad, but the effort in terms of putting the application in is much, much greater uh, and putting the NIH applications in. So, you know, that's that's really what I've been focused on for a practical reason and then also because that's what pays the bills. Yeah. Um, and But at the same time, for a number of years— Uh, Dating back to when we were going into the Appalachian Mountains, hiking in backpacks that, you know, were ridiculously uh, too big and you know not as efficient as they should be. But at the time, I was in my mid twenties. Yeah. And and I'd come out thinking, man, I am so much stronger than when I went in. And this is this is the best training program, you know, that you could ask for. Yeah. And I I did my PhD in exercise physiology. And so I was very well attuned to what kind of was taking place, but I never had the opportunity to actually study that until I came here to Alaska. Yeah. And, and that, that just, you know, and, uh, that was really always kind of a question in my mind
0: mm-hmm. is what happens. What's re- like you're one of those guys who's just, you can't let it go. You got to know what's actually
1: happening, Yeah, <laughs> which is yeah.
0: very It's super cool.
1: Yeah, well, thanks. And so, you know, I, I um, Larry Bartlett's a good friend of mine, mm-hmm. a good friend of mine that um, that you know, and I'm sure some other people know, and and he has kind of a, a nursing background when he's in the military yeah. and what have you. And so we kind of got to talking about this, and um, we both ended up uh, doing, you know, I think we've done three different studies uh, in backcountry hunting. Yeah. It's kind of a cliche term, but… Uh, It it doesn't matter if you're taking a backpack and hiking in off the Appalachian Trail somewhere or whether you're doing it in Alaska. You know, if you're creating a a situation where um, there's a tremendous amount of physical activity and a limited amount of nutrient intake, it's almost exactly the opposite of everything that we know about westernized society. Yeah. I'm not beating up on westernized (laughs) society. I'm just saying that we've changed so much in the past You know, it really in the past 50 years, but especially in the past 100 years, Mm -hmm. you know, because my, for example, my grandfather on my dad's side never put on a pair of tennis shoes, never went to a gym, never did any of those kinds of things, but probably one of the most fittest individuals that I, that I know of. I mean, he might not necessarily win the Boston Marathon, but you understand what I mean. Oh yeah. If you're overloading the body in a way that it has to respond and adapt and you're moving enough to where you're expending a lot of calories certainly more or at least as much as you're eating mm-hmm. you're in a better position than most
0: oh yeah well it's uh i mean it reminds me stories uh, told about my grandpa growing up well grew up in the depression and were just dirt dirt poor and you know basically poached to survive yeah. <laughs> and, and just worked like dogs Well, he was in world war ii and he was in um, jump school, mm-hmm. I guess they, you know, the story was something happened and they had to recite, they didn't have s- spots to let that class move on or s- something like that. They had to recycle. So it had come up with an excuse to recycle everybody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they said, or whoever was in, in charge said that they were going on a run and if you fell out, you'd, you'd start it over. And he said they ran all day. <laughs> At the end it was him and like two other guys, that were left and he said, he yeah, supposedly said he, uh, yeah, he hated that guy, but he could run. But I mean, just, just one example, just someone you would think wouldn't be able to do, you know, never trained in a gym in his life mm-hmm. probably. And, um, you know, there's all, everybody's got stories, their grandparents, you know, everybody, the old timers having a reputation of being tougher or some of the old timers mm-hmm. up here, you know, that just did incredible stuff and didn't have near the resources, you know, would just walk for days and. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. But yeah, I mean, it. I, I think it's it's fascinating how quick your body does adapt to stuff. Because when you go into a sheep in the shape I normally am, mm. you know, and by the end of it, I, you know, you would expect to just be trashed and, you know, some things like your feet get tore up and, you know, you get sore, but you really do end up being strong. So it's pretty cool to, it was really cool to see your study on that and yeah. uh, and like what's actually going on. And, uh, and you guys, did you guys do some research on like different, like stuff, food intake and stuff mm-hmm. like that? Like, um, cause that's always kind of a hot, a hot topic, I guess you'd say, as far as like foods to bring and stuff that can really help boost you. Cause it's always a balanced backpack hunting, like oh yeah enough, ca- you know, enough calories and the right stuff to, to keep you going. Cause you're always teetering on the edge of, yeah. of breaking down. It feels like.
1: Yeah, and in the studies we've done so far, we haven't tried to manipulate the diet. we yeah. just let people do what they would naturally do. Yeah. And studied uh, Alaska backcountry hunting, and it's, uh, you know, sounds kind of cheesy, it's natural environment. <laughs> yeah. Without, you know, as a researcher, you can manipulate the situation or you can just stand back and observe. Mm-hmm. And in those studies, we use some methodologies like this doubly labeled water technique that allows us to be able to measure energy expenditure, and we capture all of it. Interesting. You know, whereas if you put on a Fitbit, you don't necessarily capture – well, you don't capture all of the energy expenditure. Like, there's a thermic effect of feeding, Mm -hmm. which is really energy expenditure tied to feeding. And you miss that from a Fitbit. How can a Fitbit tell that? Yeah, well,
0: and even just – you know, you can almost, sometimes you can almost feel it just sitting, just being outside.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh yeah.
0: It doesn't even have to be like real rough conditions, just your body being outside all the time.
1: Yeah. And there's a movement Um, constancy associated with it. I mean, we think about typically energy expenditure in the context of hiking up a big mountain or slugging through some kind of marsh or whatever. Yeah, that counts. There's no doubt Mm -hmm. about it. But you know, that putting up your tent or, you know, make, making sure in the middle of the night you get woken up and your tent's being blown apart or, yeah. you know, or just the things that you could do within every single day that you mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily do or devote as much effort or as much energy expenditure sitting at home. I mean, let's face it. Things are pretty convenient when we're home. Yep. <laughs> uh, and, they're, and they're not convenient when we're out there. Yeah. Um,
0: no, I mean, it seems like I think i Oh generations past, back before all the technology and stuff, even when you're out, you know, it just seems there's always something to do almost, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, prep water or do this or that. And that's with all our, all the convenient, you know, gadgets and shit we have to bring with us. Mm -hmm. Um, No, it's pretty, pretty fascinating. Um, So, and I, one thing I did before I get too far, I want to hear about backpack hunting in Georgia and that, like, that's probably not a lot of... And you were what you put, picture you posted the other day was back in the day, back probably yeah. back before backpack hunting was was a thing. Yeah.
1: Well, I think I was twenty five in that picture or something like that. Yeah. You know, so I had that that old saying the confidence of youth. Yeah. You know. And that was maybe the eighth day of I think the eighth or ninth day of that, that hunt. We were, you know, loading up and hiking out. Um so yeah, I start thinking about that in my mind just goes back Oh, let the, goes yeah i want to i want to hear
0: about it because that's i mean that's just not something you really hear about people doing for white tails
1: we did it you know largely for two reasons one we enjoyed it mm-hmm. and then two we didn't really have two dimes to rub together yeah. so but we had the ability to hike into the mountains mm-hmm. and so the point is we we didn't we couldn't afford uh, a hunting lease or anything yeah. like that but we could strap backpacks on and hike in and really didn't have to worry about seeing anybody it it wasn't it wasn't like there were just deer running around everywhere mm-hmm. it was tough hunting uh i think in fact in that that picture that that buck that's on my pack that's the only deer or maybe the second deer i saw that whole trip oh wow and and so in some ways it's or i guess in a way it's somewhat like hunting you know even in alaska yeah uh not always the case i mean when you have a big crop of acorns or whatever and they're white oak acorns and you can really hone in on that uh, then hunting can be exceptionally good but it can also be uh, really tough but uh, i got started doing that and you know did it for years and in fact when I went to arkansas um you know, I actually had a real job then and could have afforded going into a, a hunting lease or whatever, but uh, still chose to hike into these wilderness areas in Arkansas and deer hunt and bear hunt and stuff like that. And, you know, the opportunities are there, and like so many things, if you just investigate it. Mm-hmm. And so, and in many ways, it kind of prepped me well for coming up here, even though I didn't, you know, make it up here until I was in my late 40s. Um You know, at least I had the skill set to march off into the woods with a backpack.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, that, yeah, that puts you, I don't know. There's a lot of these skills. If you can go do that there, you can do it. Translate. You know, there's different terrain and different, there's all sorts of different factors that you kind of got to adapt to. But I don't know. I think if you, if you're pretty good at hunting and you, you know, like knowing how to find game and see game and you're good at like the camping you got to be good at the camping type skills too you know you, yeah. you know no you know making sure you're not running out of water and just mm-hmm. a million stupid things but if you're i mean if you got those down that's already like a pretty big pretty you know pretty big step ahead of a lot of folks you know that are just trying it out for the first time
1: yeah i, I think so i completely agree it's you know a, a friend of mine that the first time I came up to Alaska, you know, he uh, got a place on the Kenai River and um, came up and did some fishing with him. And he told me, he says, now, Coker, you got to remember, half the time Alaska's going to smile on you, and the other time, yeah. other half the time it's going to be trying to kill you. Yeah. And as long as you keep that in perspective, you're going to be okay. And I'd say those percentages kind of oscillate yeah. depending <laughs> on where you're at and what environment. But if you can camp in the backcountry uh, and, and do it in an efficient way, and learn how to deer hunt and learn how to turkey hunt, you're going to be, in my opinion, humble opinion, because I don't have as much experience as a lot of people, but um, you're going to be okay, okay because um, you'll learn tactics uh, with turkey hunting. You know, mm-hmm. turkey hunting, you always be on, want to be on the high ground. That translates to sheep hunting, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, you try to go at sheep from the bottom, you know, you're really handcuffing yourself a little bit.
0: Yeah, sometimes, well, that, well, that, ram I was telling you about that I missed five times and then ended up killing a couple of days later. <clears throat> yeah, that was a deal. And I absolutely, there was like, I think it was three groups of them, 47 rams total on this knob. Biggest group of rams ever I have seen mm-hmm. yet. And he was the most impressive looking one of all of them. He ended up being, he was like one of them kind of pygmy sheep. Mm-hmm. Just every, you know, he was just super impressive, but small, like everything is smaller anyway. Yeah, got below, came up from below, which, you know, isn't always a deal breaker, but you're more limited, a lot more limited in your options. And I just tried to push the envelope too far, got busted by a little one and then tried to push a little more and they were getting ready to get out of Dodge and, and, uh. Stuff just started to unravel from there. <laughs>
1: but Yeah, well, when oh, I made that statement I was I was thinking kind of along the same lines and and not not like, hey, I know all these things, but more, hey, I've, these are things I've learned no, because, oh, yeah, because I've made the mistakes. Yeah,
0: it's absolutely correct though. Yeah. If yeah, if you can if the if that's the option and I guess, you know, my turkey hunting experience is very limited. <laughs> I have killed one. That was, I thought that was kind of, that was another one of those things like whitetails that I was like, oh, I kind of get it now. It'd yeah. be, or what I, cause I killed mine in Michigan and you can only kill one there. I'm like, I'd have a hard time being a law abiding citizen if I yeah. could only kill one turkey. And that's like what there was to do. Yeah. But you know, a lot of those guys just go like take a different person and it's the process. That's the fun part, you know? Oh Yeah. But did, uh, yeah, so you, yeah, did you mostly, well, I guess calling turkeys is kind of the, that's kind of the just the go-to in general, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, generally. I mean, I did a good bit of that when I was living in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to live in a place where I could just literally hunt right out of my backyard. And so, you know, I got an opportunity to make a lot of mistakes the first year. Yeah. And then, you know, learn from that and, and go forward. And then ended up, you know, I'd get my limited turkeys and call people on the phone and say, hey, I've got one roosted over here because you just want to go. You just yeah. want to experience it, you yep. know. And it's great to be the one pulling the trigger, but it's also great to watch a, a buddy, you know, or a family member or whatever mm-hmm. do it too. So, I mean, that's that's the, that was my background coming here. and And it's been... It's given me a, a, at least the confidence to go and make mistakes. Oh yeah, and and learn from it um, because you know there's there's no cheat sheet out there, and, and quite frankly, even if there was, at the end of the day, it wouldn't be near as much fun.
0: Yeah, some even of the stuff satisfying. it's it's a tough balance too because you want you know, and you know there's you know people that are newer at it, and you know looking for advice. There's not anything wrong with that. It's, it's just a tough balance. Cause uh, you know, you want to, I don't know. There's a certain amount of, of like valuable experience you get by just stepping out and doing it. Like, you know, it's kind of, I think if, if you, you know, there's reasonable ways that everyone can kind of equip themselves to, to win, you know, if that, if that yeah. makes sense, you know, to get off on the right foot. But uh man a lot of that stuff there's just no way to do it but the hard way. You yeah. know or no way to do it but to do it. Yeah. You it's know it's like driving a river boat or something like you're not going to learn by watching YouTube or you know videos of someone doing it or sitting in a boat with someone doing it like you got to dri- to learn to read water and so you got to drive the boat and put yeah. it on a couple gravel bars.
1: That's right. Yeah, pay for a few repairs. Pay
0: for a few repairs. Oh, man, it's always something.
1: But, you know, for someone that that comes up and doesn't really have much exposure to the outdoors, it, you know, coming here to Alaska has to be just exceptionally challenging. Yeah. Because I think you and I, at least, were uh, very fortunate and privileged to be able to have some of those experiences Mm -hmm. before we got here. Yeah. Uh, Cut your teeth a little bit. And, you know, it, it, it... Even, like, we were talking about those studies, I kind of knew that by the end of the hunt, I was coming out lighter than I Mm -hmm. I did when I went in. Yeah, okay, well, how many more calories am I burning per day than I'm ingesting? Yeah. That's one of the questions that we had, and we were able to answer that without manipulating it, like I say.
0: Did you have an average, like, I mean, it's hard because everyone's individual and what you're doing, but did you have an average, like, kind of calorie level that you could say, you know, you would say generally, like...
1: Yeah, yeah, generally, yeah, generally four to forty five hundred calories a day in terms of energy expenditure. Yeah, and eating about half of that. Yeah, and generally speaking, and that doesn't mean that you know sheep hunter, you know, in the worst circumstances might not burn an additional thousand yeah. calories. It all depends on how much mm-hmm. how much they're moving within a day and what the intensity of that movement. Yep, is because you and know
0: probably does it have does did you find much variation like person to person like some. Some people burn a little bit more and some, I mean... By it, body weight. Yeah. yeah.
1: Generally by body weight. Uh, without a doubt. I mean, that's pretty well, not yeah. just, not just well published and you know, the hunting literature, yeah. <laughs> scientific literature when it comes to it hunting. It takes a lot more energy which, to move my I, fat ass yeah. up that mountain. Which I think, I think we're the only, <laughs> the prank, yeah. we're the only two, well, maybe I'm wrong, but I think we're the only two published research articles on backcountry hunting. Oh, cool. Uh, which is kind of neat. Yeah. So, especially when I think back, you know, originally... You know, my interest in, in human physiology and then i've kind of morphed that into you know or combined that with my interest in hunting it's 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 a nice feeling
0: yeah that's cool i uh and that's got to be pretty set sa- well i mean i I, it's kind of rhetorical because i know it's satisfying because i get to do a similar similar thing like i you know it would probably suck to have to do your job at something you had no like interest in oh yeah you know like i in
1: Lot, know, lots L- of you know, high school.
0: That. I was. I. I hated English class. I despised it. Hated it. Hated writing stupid papers about stupid stuff. But once I. I was actually in a. Uh, one of my college classes. the The lady was a flaming liberal, but she's she was actually pretty cool. Like, um, <laughs> she let me write about hunting and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, well, I found that I actually kind of enjoyed writing about stuff that I was interested in. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I never would have thought I would public, public get anything published or, or make any kind of money or nevertheless, sort of kind of a living, you know, doing writing and stuff like that. I mean, it's like the dream and the road to it was a little weird, but, um, I'm very thankful for being able to like do stuff that, like work that's not really work it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like work and uh yeah so i don't know where i was really going with that but that's cool and it's like i can see and understand like especially in those studies and being able to study things that like you genuinely like wonder about and want to find the answer to
1: yeah we're just talking about how you know your professional interests match your personal interests, and if you can synergize those it it makes it so much more enjoyable. Yeah. And and it, it,
0: and I think the results are going to be end up being better too, you know, if you if you yeah, care about what yeah, you're definitely. what you're doing.
1: Well, you can tell. I mean, I'm not just telling this to Apache on the back, but I've said it to you before. You can you're you're good at writing uh articles, you know, and outdoor oriented, hunting oriented articles. Uh, it's high quality writing, and it wouldn't Thank be you. that. It wouldn't well. It, it, just honest, it wouldn't be that way if you didn't have a, a vested interest and a, a and a real passion. A for really it. good
0: editor. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: and, and, and yeah, a real no. passion for it. Yeah. I mean that that's just it's just human nature. It's exceptionally hard to do something well that you hate.
0: Yeah. No, and I mean. it's even hard. Yeah, and I, I find you know, stories that I'm really excited to write. And that's what I like writing is stories. I mean, I like writing about cool gear and whatever, you know, some stuff. It's like, yeah, you know, it's more just work, work, but I mean, it's still cool, but it's not quite at the same. I don't have quite the same. Sometimes I get, you know, writers, you know, you're just wondering how do I even tell this or start it if I'm not as interested, it's way tougher than, than something that I like can't wait to tell or
1: put on paper. Yeah, I can understand that. It's like these publications, these scientific publications that we're talking about, and the way that you write those, the way that you construct those. You know, I've tried to mentor students and how that works. You know, and how do you put them together or whatever. And um, the 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 thing in particular uh, about that is that you know it, it's it's very interesting to do when it's something you're really passionate about. So if the mm-hmm. student's passionate about it, it works, you know, it works really easily. It's not a big, not a big problem. But if they don't like it, it's, it's very, very difficult Yeah, for them and obviously for me. And then, you know, the flip side of that is the way these articles work is that you submit them to a journal. hmm And that uh, the editor deals it off to a couple of people to review your article peer review. That's Mm -hmm. what it's called. So peers in the field that have some expertise or whatever. And so, you know, I write and try to get my articles published, but then also review for journals. Mm -hmm. And it's when I'm reviewing something that I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so boring. You know, I still have to have, uh, you know, the attention to detail Mm -hmm. so that I, produce something that's you know has some professional credibility yeah um and i have to do that i don't have a choice but you know i tell my wife sometimes it's it's so easy so easy to review an article that i'm just psyched about so it's not just the writing it's reading other stuff and trying to figure you know other people's contributions
0: and i imagine that's probably i remember when i was uh um in engineering school, I guess when I was in college, um, a lot of the things they were, it seemed like they were really stressing to us that, and they made us take, uh, in the engineering program at the time, they made us take several like writing and communication courses, um, because engineers are notorious for not being able to communicate. You just get all nerdy. Oh, you know, oh, X plus, <laughs> y, Z, you know, all this shit that just like, doesn't make sense to people. People don't care. They just need to know like what it means and what, like engineers can't, a lot of engineers couldn't communicate to average people Mm -hmm. or other people that may not be as gung ho about whatever they're talking about. Um, so like that was, and whether it's, you know, writing a story or, or or conveying information like that, like, I think they probably follow a lot of the same principles. Like you have to be able to communicate clearly and hold people's attention. Um, even if they may not be that interested in it, like, you know, figure out like what information, I can't just start spitting numbers that, you know, you got to like lay a foundation, um, give like relevant, relevant information and stuff like that. I mean, maybe I'm the nerdy one. Cause that's seems way more, <laughs> the process is way more interesting to me than maybe it should be. But, um, I think that's like kind of a big, big deal. I mean, and listening to your presentations, I felt you guys like did a really good job Thanks. of like conveying that information. Um, But that's got, that's got to be like a tough thing probably to teach too.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really passionate about communicating, uh, not just within the scientific sphere, if you will, but, but actually translating the work to the community. Mm -hmm. It's very, very important to do that. Um, and I'm not just saying that because you and I both live in Fairbanks. Uh, you know, we have to be worth something to our community, yeah, you know, our local community. And uh, it's important to translate what we do in and, mm-hmm. and, and the lab, and instead of just being, you oh, know, this is a scientific geeky guy or whatever. I guess that's okay for some, but for me, I, I really like being able to to translate what we're doing in the lab to our local community, to the state, the federal, international yeah. level. And in a way that people can understand it, mm-hmm. it's incumbent upon me to figure out how to do that. Yeah. That's the way I see it. And, you know, the presentations that we made to SCI are, are along, you know, the same type of, along similar, similar line, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and trying to pro- provide information that could be valuable to the community. Not just that I wanted to do some cool hunting study and I'm a science geek. But I See, thought, the
0: way it works for me is normally I'm like, I want to go do this cool hunting trip. Mm-hmm. How can I make
1: it? How can I fund it? <laughs> How can I be? Well, well, that too. But, you yeah. know, our community in one way or another, and it may just be verbally, supports us. Yeah. Okay. Or at least, you know, we're I'm a professor that works for the University of Alaska. So I want to be able to do things that have relevance to the citizens of the state. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty passionate about that.
0: Yeah, no, and I mean, yeah, what, I, what I'm doing is fully, <laughs> fully depends on whether, pe- you know, even to like the podcast, if nobody listens to it, there's yeah. no point in me doing it. So, yeah. you know, I'll try to, try to give people some valuable information and laugh at me every once in a while
1: (laughs) well i'm sure i'm sure that some of my students laugh at me from time time to time (laughs) and now that most of the stuff is online i i I can't see it yeah necessarily but (laughs) it's all right i've got a pretty thick skin after all these years
0: yeah oh you kind of got to you kind of have to i I, i'm you have the same way you deal with all sort of bullshit but um yeah what the heck was i uh I was going to ask you something about float hunting, you because you guys, you and your wife, have done quite a bit of float hunting, haven't you? A little bit, yeah. It's uh, I I have I I haven't done very much of it myself. I don't. I'm stupid, man. I can't remember what I was going to ask you specifically about it. But does that? What was the? I guess what would you say? What was the first thing you guys got into once you? Once you got up here, and you know, was it float hunting or backpack hunting or? sheep hunting like how'd you dip your toes into it and where'd you kind of go from there
1: well that's 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 a a really interesting question at least for me because when i got here in fact i had a cousin back home in georgia said well you're not going to be able to deer hunt and turkey hunt anymore and i'm like there's 14 (laughs) i think 14 big game species up here i'm not worried about i mean i love turkey hunting. i've talked to some
0: people who are you know, I'm like, ah, don't you ever like want to come, shoot a, you know, like go come bear hunting or moose hunting or something? Nope, I'll just hunt deer and turkeys, which that's fine. You know, I'm like, I'm I I could be totally satisfied with the hunting here, but we, it's not just.
1: Yeah, <laughs> when I got here, when my wife and I both got here, my wife likes to hunt. I think probably as much as I do, or almost as much. Um, I was just overwhelmed. I was like, where do we start? So the first thing we did. As before, we were even technically residents, even though we'd bought a house and mm-hmm. you know paying taxes to the yep. borough. We drove up the Hall Road with a couple of caribou tags and our bows, and of course we had our you know bow hunting certification or whatever, and didn't see any caribou. We're like, oh, okay, that's kind of a disappointment. But of course, the whole trip was fascinating and worth worth the trip in and, mm-hmm. and of itself. <clears throat> but we were very fortunate; we pulled o- over into an airstrip there in Happy Valley. And we talked to Emily Thoss, who was loading uh, gear on for some clients or whatever they're flying out. And we talked to her a little bit about it. She said, well, I, the word of advice I would give you, which is also similar to some advice I got from Larry, is uh, focus your resources on one hunt a year, at mm-hmm. least one hunt. If you can yeah. do more than that, that's great. But try to do at least one hunt a year. And if you're here 10 years— you'll look back on it and you will have had, generally speaking, at least eight to ten exceptional experiences. Yeah. If you try to just, oh, I'm going to go out this weekend and do this, and everything's kind of haphazard and random, you're not going to get the quality uh, yeah. out, out of the experience that you're really looking for. And so that was some great, great advice because, you know, in the, in the Southeast, you can go out for a weekend and yeah. maybe shoot the buck of a lifetime. Or chance. just
0: leave the house from in the morning and yeah. go have a great hunt.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I've done that myself. You know, yeah. uh, the year before we left to come up here, I ended up shooting a great whitetail right across the street from my house. I mean, I walked from the front door yeah. of my house across the street to the area that I'd leased, a property i leased, and shot it one afternoon. You know, I got in the stand at like 4 and shot it at like 4.30 or something. Man. You know, but that's unlikely yeah. to happen here. And so you have to recalibrate your approach to the whole, uh, not problem, but it Mm -hmm. is a problem in a way. Um, It's not a problem because you have the opportunity. But if you focus on it, like, how am I going to solve this problem or how am I going to put myself in a situation where I'm going to have a successful experience? Not Mm -hmm. whether I'm where I'm going to kill something, but a successful experience, you know? And so a couple of years later, we ended up uh, booking a transport with... Matt and flying into the Brooks range, and I got educated by my first ram, yeah, uh, similar to the story you were talking about, <laughs> and the next year went back up there, flew in again, and ended up not shooting that ram, which would have been great because he was a real toad, but shooting another one on almost exactly the same spot oh cool but I changed my tactic, you know, and I went back around the other side of the mountain, came up over him, mm-hmm. shot him at like fifty yards. You know, so, you know, those, that's what I'm talking about in terms of quality experience, even though I came home empty handed and, you know, that's, that wasn't exactly a wonderful experience going back home. It still gave, that was still my first sheep hunt. Yeah. And that was by myself. Yeah. Well, with my wife, but not only, not a guided hunt. Yeah. yeah. Nothing against guided hunts. I you mean. didn't,
0: have, you're just saying you didn't have the resources of someone like an expert there to be like, no, do this and do You got kind yeah. of. Learn some of the nuance of it on your own. <laughs>
1: That's right. Yeah, I've yet to go on a guided hunt. Uh, if anybody wants to offer one, say, hey, <laughs>
0: thank you. I'm, no, um, I'm not. Ab- I'm not <laughs> above it. No, I. Yeah, it's well, same thing. Like this whitetail we were looking at earlier out here. That was the first guide. You know, guided hunt I went on where I wasn't one of the guides. Mm-hmm. And then you know, going over to Africa and people get all. You know, some people get bent. I just get fed up with some shit. I'll just get tired of you know and all there was some uh i saw maybe it was a comment on one of my articles about africa one a guy, you know just the the mentality of a guy will say oh who would pay to shoot something like that or it's well you're like you're you're paying to shoot what you hunt you know you're paying to facilitate an experience yeah and sometimes you don't have the option but to hire a guide to help you facilitate your experience yeah you know so if that puts it into yeah i mean i I, I think but it it, it's different doing it is a little different doing it yourself
1: yeah i mean but you know like you're talking about going to africa uh, i feel like it's it's important to to understand or be in another another situation Mm -hmm. or exposed to another culture before you say oh that's that's crap or whatever. In other oh, words, yeah. if you haven't experienced it, how do you really truly yeah. know?
0: And I was kind of, I mean, that was me. I didn't honestly, didn't really have any interest in doing it and debated like even accepting, you know, being able to go on it. Now I'm like, it was stupid, you know, because it was I it wasn't just, I mean, I got to ride around and blast stuff and ride around and blast and stuff and warming up barrels and mm-hmm. shit like that's a lot of fun. But <laughs> it just, I mean, as much as anything, I was just learning all sorts of cool stuff about, I was just being in a new place and learning all sorts of shit about it. It was, it was cool. It was a really fun experience. And I got to blast a bunch of stuff. So yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like the, the, the complete picture there. But, uh, yeah no anyway not to get totally uh digress on your no that's fine yeah. i think
1: that's i feel like that's one of the great things about this state is that you know, you're talking about going somewhere in a completely different environment i mean uh, sheep hunting in and the in the brooks range is fantastic but it's not the same as sheep hunting in other mountain ranges yeah even in this state yep which makes it really fascinating to me and then You know, you layer uh, Kodiak Island, Mm -hmm. experiences that are available there, or southeast Alaska. It's just one thing that I feel like makes uh, this area or this part of the world so fascinating. Yeah. And you could spend really a whole lifetime here and still have pages to turn.
0: Yeah, you would never, yeah, you could almost never do it all. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I still know old timers that have their bucket lists still of things they want to do up here that they've never, you know— even guys have been up here flying their own planes for years and still have this and that that they that they want to check off, and that's the that's a very cool thing. It, you know, is just you know I don't see myself ever getting tired of it.
1: <laughs> no, it's it's I think something that you know keeps us going. I mean, without mm-hmm. a doubt, and um, you know it's we have we have certain objectives that we want to that we want to reach. And, you know, sometimes with with hunters, sometimes those objectives are like, I want to get an animal in this part of the country. I want this size of an animal or whatever. And those are all personal things. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there may be certain, like, I'd love to kill, we talked about it when we first walked into your office here. I'd love to get a double broom sheep. I mean, just. Like a ridiculously double broom one. Yeah. Uh not one by any stretch that would be considered pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas another sheep hunter might want just a perfect, you know, make it forty inch perfect curl or whatever. Don't get me wrong, I wouldn't oppose that. Yeah. But you know, what would get me really excited looking into the spot and scope is a double broom sheep.
0: Yeah, it it's yeah. So it gets. It still gets me excited. I still shoot them. <laughs> no, I <laughs> mean, know? it's just
1: it's a personal thing. Yeah, and yeah. I guess that's a, that's the thing. It's and, and there's it's, a
0: lot of room for. There's a lot of room for personal taste up here too. You know, there's absolutely. so many different awesome experiences. You know, if you like, you know, if you want to bait bears, and, and I mean that there's a lot of just phenomenally fun experiences you can have doing that. If you don't want to bait, there's you can go to places where it's you know feasible and and conducive to spot and stock hunting i mean there. that's just like one example there's
1: yeah, yeah a
0: million different little options you could go down so yeah i mean it was the more it's still overwhelming to me you know when you really think all the stuff you could all the possibilities and, and yeah things you could be doing
1: yeah absolutely and that's you know that's i guess like in uh 2008 i came up here to visit my friend fishing and then I gave a presentation at University of Alaska Fairbanks, mm-hmm. and I learned a little bit about it. And then, you know, kind of as time went on, I thought, man,
0: I was uh, that's, if, Yeah, that's when I was going to school.
1: <laughs> yeah, if, if I'm ever if if I'm ever gonna to do this, I need to. If I'm ever going to move to Alaska, mm-hmm. because I felt like in order to really get the experiences that I wanted, I needed to live here. Yeah, uh, coming for a few days or whatever. My personal, you know taste for it I, I would need to immerse myself a little more mm-hmm. deeply and so i'm like you know talking to my wife hey you know what do you think about moving up to alaska said, oh that sounds great let's go so we've been coming up you know like every year yeah. keen on fishing and she, she just loved she knew that. it
0: if she was getting herself into i too. think
1: so even though she didn't come up in the winter yeah i asked her i said are you sure you know it's it gets really cold. i'll be fine and she's been fine good so
0: yeah um, like you were saying earlier you know some of the all the stories you hear is, is the Alaska can be, can be great or terrible for relationships. Yeah, <laughs> You know, so yeah. If you're thinking about moving to Alaska and you're married, make sure that it's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it, I don't know, yeah, maybe it, some things you just never know, but. Uh,
1: yeah. I can challenge things. I know uh, my wife, Cherie, and I spent uh, 13 out of 15 days in a tent on one of our uh, sheep hunts. Yeah. And I That's came in weather. just because of weather, mm-hmm. just rain, sleet, snow, fog. You couldn't, it wasn't, it wasn't really worth getting out of the tent. We're going to do walk around in the rain and the fog. Yeah. Hey, how's that going to be beneficial? And I told some of my buddies back home, you know, back down the South. And they're like, man, how did you get along, you know, in a backpacking <laughs> tent for two weeks and I said, "It's in your best interest to get along." You yeah, know, you're a hundred miles from the nearest <laughs> road. What are you going to do? Get mad and yeah. walk off in the rain? And and so, you, like you say, Tyler. I mean, it it either um, cements a relationship yeah. or really brings you close. Oh, and
0: I was stealing it from you. You're the one said it. Not I won't. I don't have to take credit for it because no. you're the one that brought it up. But it's it's a big it's a big deal.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it 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 is a big deal, and it it'll it'll help with just the overall quality of the experience whether your wife's going. with you or, yeah. I don't mean to, I don't mean to suggest that that has to be the case, but just an appreciation. Oh yeah, uh, where it, you have a, a, a cohesive uh, partnership in that regard, because you know if you don't, want it, it can be a real, it can be a real challenge, you know, and uh, in more ways than one.
0: Yeah, I get. I mean, my my challenge i have to remind myself not guys i'm the tie i'll just get super zoned in on whatever it is that's in season mm-hmm. and and kind of you know not check out but it's like i'm mentally somewhere else yeah. i'm mentally staring down a, the hole in the ice or mm-hmm. or you know thinking about sheep hunting or whatever um but yeah, so that's something I have to be cognitive of is to also pull my, you know, pull yeah. my end of the, my side of the cart and, and, you know, make sure, make sure she's doing good. And yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that either. A lot of loose ends. But
1: <laughs> Well, it seems to be working pretty well. So yeah,
0: no, it's uh <clears throat> life. Life's pretty good. And I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't live anywhere else. Um, And what the heck? Keep losing my train of thought. I have some carbon monoxide in here or something. It's radon. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it was something. Yeah, something along the lines. Oh yeah, that which you said earlier. I wanted to get back to of uh, um, tackle picking one hunt a year to tackle or at least one to focus on. I think that's really good advice. Um, and kind of by default, that's what I had to do. As I was going through college and whatnot, I just didn't have any money and, you know, mm-hmm. like had to pick, all right, if I'm going to go, yeah, bear, I mean, bear stuff in the spring that if you can do locally or, or within that almost doesn't count, but you know, like sheep hunting was it. And we've done, I mean, me and my buddies have talked, they've talked about it on the podcast, you know, like I'd never really went on big moose hunts. Like I've never been on a big float hunt or mm-hmm. anything like that, um, you know, kind of little piddly stuff, but I just never, I was always focused just on hunting sheep and that's just what I choose, you know, for, mm-hmm. you can pick a different thing every year, but I think that picking a single hunt to plan and focus on, because especially if you're new to it, it's like, and you're trying to get gear together, you know, it's, it's an expedition, It takes a lot oh, yeah. of planning. It's one thing if, I mean, it's even you know, it takes a lot of planning, even if you already have all the stuff you could possibly need, yeah. you know, that you've accumulated over 20 years and be able to throw everything in a couple totes and it's still, you know, a big deal. So, yeah, I think that's phenomenal advice for.
1: Yeah, it was great advice for us. I mean, yeah. it was really great advice because I literally, you know, you open up the book of, okay, there's, you can go coat honey you can go. You know, all these different types of bear yeah. hunting. You can,
0: I can get all these you know, tags. Oh, oh, my gosh,
1: you know. And I've had, you know, have people tell me, well, you, you're tagged. You don't pay anything for them. You know, it's cheap to hunt in Alaska. I'm like, well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> it can be. Yeah. But if it's cheap, it's probably very frustrating. Or if it's inexpensive, it means that you put some boot leather into it. Yeah. And that's not cheap. Yeah, you can't.
0: Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna pay for it one way or another. Is right. time and effort, or you know, or money, or I mean, sometimes all three. It's not like yeah. a. It's not a this or that. Sometimes it's a little bit of everything. Some, but yeah, you are You know, we we're lucky. We're lucky and fortunate to have the opportunities we have, but it's also like capitalizing on those opportunities isn't lucky. You know, no. it's not, it's, you know, making choices and every, every, it costs something, you know, whether it's time or time, some some time, some money, some frustration, some year, sometimes years of trying to figure, figure this or that out. Um, yeah. But I mean, that's, it's all part of the process
1: <laughs> too. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I mean, learning, learning what seems to work well for mm-hmm. you and, and what's consistent with what you want to do or your hunting partner, you know, hunting partner is exceptionally important. Um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have pretty good hunting partners, but yeah. I've, I've heard some stories, you know, that just make me go, oh gosh.
0: Yeah. I'm the same way. And that's, I mean, that, yeah, that aside from, from doing that, like picking, having kind of a singular focus on and, and planning, I'm going to do this, this year, etc. Um, like a hunting partner is probably the. I would say that's probably the single biggest biggest jackknife in hunting plans, like, universally up here that, you know, you hear about, at least, you know, yeah. anecdotally. Um, see, I'm using all these fancy words. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's almost constant. Oh, you know, I was going to do this. Hunting partner, uh, you know, like either you know, something happens and the person bails, and it's tough to find a hunting partner. Mm-hmm. You know, I honestly like don't have, I don't really have any advice for, because you know, you get asked for every once in a while. It's like you know, what's the best way to find a good hunting partner? I, I don't know. It's just going to take a long time, probably. Yeah, you know, if you some some folks get real fortunate and like you know, and end up linking up with someone they like really or cohesive with and right off the bat and it works and sometimes it don't
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and it, it has to kind of match up with the overall objective yep. and the approach to that objective um know, i mean i break it down and those it might sound a little bit fancy but it's actually simple yeah uh you know what do you really want to get out of it and how are you going to go about it mm-hmm. and you know sometimes the best of friends are the worst hunting partners yeah no that's the truth and or maybe not the best hunting partner let me yeah that
0: no bit. and it, yeah it's but it it does it's it's kind of a complex thing like uh you know my buddy frank that i've been hunting cheap with for quite a few years it's yeah it, i mean it was i mean fairly random you know got linked up mm-hmm. with them we kind of felt each other out and it's ended up being great you know like we are kind of on the same page and some, you're not always on the same page, Mm -hmm. but you know, we know each other well enough to know, all right, what needs to, (laughs) (laughs) if, if I'm having a hard, if I'm, I don't know if I, uh, if I'm having a hard time or, or whatever, you know, but we're, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, neither one, we know that neither one of us is going to quit on each other and we're both reasonable, you know, (laughs) Yeah, or try to be like reasonable and, you know, figure out that we, you know, we're not, neither one of us is going to gonna go, go off and do their own thing mm-hmm. if we get mad or, or get sick of each other or something like that, you know? No, I don't know. There's just, there's just so many factors into it that you, I mean, there, I'd say there's red flags. I don't know what it's, it's tough to get like, just i wouldn't just random go hunting with someone on the inter- random on the internet i would maybe you try like a little day trip first yeah you <laughs> go on a couple dates
1: yeah. to, to, <laughs> a couple of trial dates <laughs> yeah
0: you know. but uh yeah so if you're looking for a hunting partner i don't know what to tell you exactly but just yeah be patient and be wary and be willing to do stuff on your own if you need to
1: yeah yeah i completely agree you know it's um, it's one of those tough things. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to know until you're in that situation.
0: Yeah. And, and it's not even say like, and I'm not even saying like that, you know, that you could have two, two people that are each great hunters that would never be good hunting partners, you know, yeah. and it's not that either one of them's doing anything wrong. It's, yeah, it's just something that is a personality thing and you got to, got to feel out so yeah you are pretty fortunate to to come into good hunting partners especially early on although i mean i was kind of the mentality and that that uh, i just wasn't gonna let it stop me you know i I don't mind going hunting by myself i do a lot of hunting by my by myself which i kind of like too you know especially mm-hmm. bears in the spring but yeah it is it is big trips especially or it's very beneficial to have a good hunting partner.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's uh, before I before I came here. Um, with the exception of waterfowl hunting, almost all the big game hunting, just about, I did pretty much by myself. Yeah, uh, there's just not a whole lot of folks in in Arkansas, in particular. You know, I had friends in Georgia that went on these backpacking trips together. Mm-hmm but by the time most I moved of them to, probably
0: look at you funny when
1: you <laughs> yeah. by the time i got to to arkansas you know i was doing a lot of this stuff you know big game hunting you know pretty much by myself because like you said not many people think about whitetail hunting you know mm-hmm. and, and doing doing it that way yeah and to me it was just very satisfying i wasn't necessarily uh concerned about how big the deer was in terms of how many how many what does he score i could could have really cared less that was my perspective i'm not saying that's the way everybody should be it was just mine Mm -hmm. and i felt like you know if i got out there and killed a you know took a mature whitetail what difference does it make yeah and and that that was satisfying to me but to some it might not be yeah
0: well especially yeah just how you know whatever's satisfying to you and how you do it, you know, that's That's right. Kind of the you do you thing. It's not it's not important to anybody but you,
1: you know. Yeah. And so if I'd had a partner that wanted to shoot a book Whitetail out in, you know, the watch it all mountains of Arkansas, well good luck, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not gonna happen. <laughs> And if it does happen, they'll be writing books about you. you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, but um, you know, it doesn't mean that that individual is not correct in their thinking and what yeah. their objectives might be. Yeah. Um, but but it, that's that's one reason why Alaska and really just just hunting in the mountains mm-hmm. is satisfying to me, Tyler, and something I've thought about circling back to the beginning of our conversation. Something I've thought about for for decades, and now finally having the opportunity to do and you know at 56 you know i feel like i can you know as long as i kind of stay ready yeah you know physically you know i can't quite cheat like i used to be able to when i was younger yeah i have to kind of keep my you know keep my uh physicality or lack thereof (laughs) 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 to some to to some to some base level Mm -hmm. um but outside of that i feel like i can i can it may take me a minute to get there yeah but i'm gonna get there
0: it takes me a while (laughs) no yeah and i think yeah i and i think i joke about it a lot but i think as long as a person stays in i think in in good enough physical condition to not get hurt easily is the the big is the important thing you know
1: yeah i agree you know the sheep doesn't care if you know you're a track athlete or whatever no Uh, what matters is like you say avoiding injury that's number one yep and and then just taking a personal inventory what can you do every day Mm -hmm.
0: yep and there yeah so it's yeah there's guys that just zip up and i mean there's great sheep hunters that i probably would not would not be good sheep hunting partners for me (laughs) because i would never be able to keep up with them and and we just do things differently but it doesn't mean it yeah doesn't mean anybody's anybody's right or wrong.
1: Um And there's a certain element of randomness to it. I mean if you think about yeah. it, whether it's sheep hunting or bear hunting or whatever type of you know, let's say you're floating a river for, for moose. Um, you know, you may think, Oh, I've just gotta be so gung ho about this where in some circumstances it might have been better for you to sleep in until 'til nine o'clock before you got into the boat. Yeah. Because the bull's not gonna come out until I'm not saying that's yep. the case every time, but we know when it comes to wild things, there's a random uh you know there's a randomness to it.
0: Yeah, well that ram, I we that broom one, we chased him the year before, so it's 2016, Frank and I chased him well, we were looking, kind of we were running ridges, checking kind of hunting a few drainages and we'd seen him and the group like come into one move into one spot and we kept an eye on him and then went and saw him again. I mean we tried to kill him once. But he was, he kind of gave us a slip and we saw that he was with three others and we saw all, had all of them like from a hundred to a hundred or from 50 to 150 yards. And he never, like, I don't know where he went, but gave us a slip. And then the next day, my buddy ended up killing a really nice one, you know, a couple bulls over. And then we went back and, you know, found him again, right where we left him and tried to. I tried to kill him, couldn't get, you know, had got, had snuck over as they, uh, how did it happen? We spent a couple of days trying to kill him. They had been feeding around this one point that we could get to within range of that point. They'd been feeding there every evening. Mm-hmm. So we got there and just set up for him. Think, all right, as soon as they come around, we'll whack him. And, uh, didn't happen. So then the next day we kind of backed off, walked like a mile and a half around to where we could see, we could see him. And then when they got up to feed and were moving and I think they were moving over the ridge they were on, we figured we could just go up, get above them and shoot them and got. To, <laughs> so we did that and got up and coming down and I, I see one's ass like 40 yards away and, you know, sit down, get ready and, and then get up and where'd he go? And then look do some more walking and then he's running down the hill, like somehow spooked us or whatever. And then I look across the basin and there's the three, you know, him with the two other ones, just walking up the next hill. (laughs) Like They freaking know, you know, and so all that rigmarole and just chasing after him. And then the next year I shot him a 10 or it was about 20 minute walk down to our tent from, it was like 800 yards up above our tent, Mm -hmm. you know, just got up and, got up and saw he was with two other rams and they were out feeding and they were kind of in the way we had to go up that ridge to get over to another basin to find the to locate these other rams we'd been watching and saw two rams and after we got out of the tent and had breakfast and looked them over now they're both like seven and seven eights so we figured out we'll just we'll just blow them out you know if they're gonna park it right there and you know, not paying attention for 20 minutes, start hiking and get up over a couple bumps, and they bedded down. The two of them are bedded down, and uh, and ah, guys, I sometimes just had to have another look at them and grab the spotter, sat down, and that was one look I was like, "Oh shit, he's legal! Like he's a shooter." You know, he was skylined, and I just got I'll never forget it. Got the spotting scope on him, and that left horn was sticking out there. You know. Yeah. It's not like Coke can brew beer can broomed, but he's pretty like instantly, there was no doubt about it. And then he turned his head and saw the other side and I said, yep, he's, he's toast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Got to get him. And, uh, and you know, a while later shot him and got up there and then, yeah, we, after like looking at pictures and stuff, I mean, I'm 99% sure it's the same sheep. It's that we chased all over. And yeah, so you never know how some of that stuff's going to work out. So just sometimes, despite your best efforts, you know, I mean, I think if a guy just, you en- enjoy, go at a pace, you you enjoy yourself and spend plenty of time glassing, you never know what's going to happen. And also stuff that's last minute when you're doom and gloom and you think it's over and then, I mean, stuff can change just in the blink of an eye. That's very yeah. that goes for any any hunting you know I've had stuff like that happen so many times when I'm just ugh, like let yeah. down.
1: Yeah, it's almost like the, you know, I used to joke with my friends back home that a deer can, can, can hear you climbing down the tree, you know, when you're, with your, climber yeah. and you stand as soon as you get about halfway down, that's when they come through, <laughs> you know, just to let you know they're there. Yeah. Uh, but not enough time to get your, get your bow up or whatever uh to, to get a chance or get a crack at them but yeah it's something that you know it's frustrating at times but at the, uh, the flip side of that is it's it's one of those one of those things that makes it fascinating yeah because if you had them all figured out
0: you're never going to have the same experience twice
1: no no <laughs> and you know even with trail cameras and stuff like that you know they make their own decisions mm-hmm. and they're not wa- waiting for the trail camera to tell them when to come in yeah I mean, they're they're still making those decisions themselves in whatever way they want to.
0: Yeah, well, and that's, you know, I mean, that's one of the things with with bear baiting and specifically, you know, with grizzlies. And, you know, they they banned those those cellular cameras, which there's pretty limited areas that they work. Excuse me. COVID. (laughs) But, uh, you know... I mean, I guess, you know, the premise and you see some stuff pop up about trail cameras, this and debate that. And I think there's some situations where like, yeah, if if you're, you know, (laughs) you, you got cameras on the back 40 and you see a big buck walk by, eh, you you pop up a picture, you may be able to sneak out and get him. But, um, and I think we've talked about it on, on the podcast before, you know, the, because I, I used cell cams for a couple of years before they banned them and they did, they helped, but mostly just helped me save gas because mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew when it was not even worth going to hunt. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I've had, especially bears in general, but especially grizzly bears seem to be just so unpredictable that it would like give me. An idea that hey, there there might be one might come in tonight, and yeah. most of the time they wouldn't come back anyway. Yeah. So it was an exercise in frustration. And, and there's like, yeah, even I mean, there's do- obviously room for debate. I think on some of that stuff, but I don't know where I was going with that. Just that I like trail cam. <laughs> yeah, I like well, trail they're, they're,
1: they're a great tool. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, but it's you know it's it's like a, a friend of mine used to tell me. A good friend of mine that did a lot of waterfowl hunting, he'd say, you know, Coker, there's no substitute for time in the woods. And it's just, you know, I'm I'm saying a lot of these like one line clips, but they're the types of things that that stay in your head. Yeah. And they've been helpful to me because Mm -hmm. even uh, his his comment was particularly kind of uh, entertaining because it was one morning we were walking out and, I mean, it was raining just (laughs) – ungodly uh, amounts of water and, and i told him i said andy why are we going this morning why are we and he says and he just looks at me and barks off that comment and i said okay but it's still raining you know I'll just come on you know we, we're going to be dedicated and we ended up going getting limited ducks both of us took yeah. a little while and we got exceptionally wet but but it comes back to the point that you, whether you're successful or not not meant to be a cheesy comment you're gonna learn something yep and you know that learned that morning i learned you could get soaking wet and still kill ducks yeah um, for whatever that was worth but um trail it took cam- me a
0: couple of years to realize i wasn't made of sugar <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't gonna melt if i got a little wet yeah yeah now really wet like yeah well
1: yeah that's different different story but yeah, you you've you've talked about that a little bit when yeah, gear fails a you, little you bit get, too much <laughs> you get you, you get really wet it's a, it's another well it's it it's it's another circumstance when you think you're supposed to be protected yep uh and and you're not
0: makes you yeah. feel pretty little yeah you know it's like you know we go out and do all this stuff and yeah, you know, most of the time you know you you can't be stupid but Every once in a while, they'll re, the mountains will remind you how little you are. You know, oh, yeah. it, it doesn't take much to really turn things bad for you.
1: Yeah, and it just doesn't care.
0: Nope, it's I mean, indifferent.
1: It, it, it totally doesn't care. And I mean, and you know, I, I watched uh, Sheree and I one time were uh, and and my stepdaughter were were sheep hunting, and we watched this lamb um, that evidently had broken its leg. Yeah, and its mom stayed by it and. You know, the rest of the group was just kind of hanging out like, hey, come on, you know, how long are we going? Mm-hmm. And uh, and the mother stayed there and stayed there and stayed there, and the rest of the group kind of moved on off. And then the next morning, the mother was gone. You know, yeah. And, of course, the lamb's dead. And it just demonstrated, I mean, what what's more, I don't know, fragile, you know, yeah. than, than, a, than a lamb? Yep. And you just recognize that Mother Nature, the earth, whatever you want to call it, doesn't care yeah totally indifferent even yep. for something like that so you, you know uh, stinky guys like us that could care less about
0: <laughs> <laughs> no yeah that's, that's or like the me truth. no i'm <laughs> yeah don't yeah i'm to share I'm a ma- tent with me
1: i'll make that joke because we're in fairbanks i mean we, yeah. can, we can laugh about stuff like that <laughs>
0: yeah we sure can it's uh yeah time i i see someone like wearing a suit or something in Fairbanks. I'm so. <laughs> forget where you are you (laughs) lost yeah which there was one time everyone you see just weird stuff every once in a while my wife and I were flying somewhere where were we flying but we get just got through security and the Fairbanks quote-unquote international airport (laughs) and uh, there uh, there was this lady that like did not look like she belonged in Fairbanks Mm -hmm. I mean like very attractive like model looking lady she had this big like black trench coat type thing kind of just draped over her shoulders and like it was just (laughs) we you know we're my wife and i noticed like a little odd you know and you start looking around everyone else is like what the you know who the heck is that that doesn't yeah it it was just a weird thing never there's no end to that story but yeah um
1: well i I was waiting for a punchline yeah there's i wish i had
0: one (laughs) I really probably
1: should cut down on the stories. I no, they're that okay. just open ended. That's a, that's a good one. Well, it's you know until you're here, and you know it's it's one thing if you're in Anchorage because Anchorage is a really you know by Alaska a standards a metropolitan yeah. type city, but in Fairbanks it, it's it's a little different. I mean, some some folks say it's you know Anchorage is not really Alaska, <laughs> Northern yeah. Seattle or whatever. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but um fairbanks is definitely different yeah um and you either you either like it you either enjoy it or you or you hate it mm-hmm. there's very little middle ground uh and
0: yeah i would say that's accurate <laughs> yeah
1: you have to be able i mean i was on a call today was the work related deal with somebody in tennessee and um not hunting related mm-hmm. or anything just professionally related and she was asking about the weather, and I said, oh, it's like in the, you know, low 20s or whatever. I said, but don't let that fool you, yeah. you know, because um, it's generally speaking, the average is like zero to negative 10. And she's yeah. like almost dropped the phone. She's like, oh, my gosh. And I said, the, the thing is, though, that's, that's not the tough part. The tough part is the darkness and mm-hmm. the dead of winter. And she's like, really? And she just does not even know. And I said, oh, yeah, it's only like daylight, quote, unquote. Yeah. Like three and a half, four hours a day. And it's more like dusky dark at the first part of the morning. And she goes, oh. I said, yeah, but we have like 23 hours of, of daylight in the in the summer. And it's just manic. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I think she was more horrified than impressed, but, (laughs) but you either, it comes back to what I was saying. You either enjoy the differences Mm -hmm. or you despise them. Yep. And, and, and there's very, very little middle ground between the two. Uh, But, you know, in, in one way, you know, some of those negatives, we're kind of paying our dues for the things we get to do that other folks don't.
0: Yep. That's the truth. Yeah, if it was <laughs> if it was all nice up here, there'd be we wouldn't have the opportunities because there'd be too many people here.
1: Yeah, and even even something like you know going out and sitting on a mountain and it's cold and whatever and looking at looking at we've talked a good bit about sheep mm-hmm. sheep, but I think we you know we it's obvious that we share a lot of interest in that respect. But even when you're looking at what we call dinks or lambs and ewes or whatever, who else is getting to do that? Oh yeah, you know a few hours from their home, not many, mm-hmm. not many. and 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 there's places here that you can do it where you can park your truck you may have to walk a good bit but but you know that's not going to hurt you yeah no in fact that's probably pretty darn good for you as we've you know as we've shown so yeah um all in all it's it's a it's a pretty amazing place to live if if you embrace the positives and just kind of not ignore the negatives but don't let them override the experience yep
0: no that's they yeah they yeah you can't have, can't have anything for free and, uh, yeah, I don't know. And I, I don't know, the more I, I and maybe I'll get tired. Maybe I'll get tired of the, of the, the darkness someday or something like that. But I don't know. There just seems like there's always fun stuff to do if you,
1: if you like it, but if you hate it, then,
0: <laughs> then that's kind of where you're at and you should probably go down South
1: Yeah, well, you know, some of us were meant to carve a hole in the ice and fish, and some of us are meant to spend 50 grand on a bass boat and fly around (laughs) looking for a two pound fish. I mean, (laughs) kind of picking on the bass fish. Yeah, whole but no no disrespect to them, but it, it, uh, you know, I mean, it's
0: different. I mean, like I've found, I've got just, you know, and I don't know how many times repeated this, but. just gets, you get spoiled, can get spoiled up here with the stuff. Not saying it's, it's work getting there and it's like not always easier. A lot of times it's not easy with opportunities, but it's just like, you know, a lot of times I just think to myself, like, where else could I do stuff like this? And there's cool opportunities other places too, obviously, but, uh, yeah.
1: Well, kind of. You, you were talking about when we, you know, first began the discussion, uh, Tyler, about a lot of schooling or whatever, and you know, here I feel like in Alaska, if, if you enjoy learning and enjoy learning about the outdoors, and you're a little bit patient with it, and you're willing to take some advice, and by advice, I don't mean okay, here's the GPS coordinates. Yeah. and, Oh, by the way, I've got all this extra gear you can have, but <laughs> yeah. you know. Take some advice and, and use it, and you'll have a great time. And, yeah. and it's, you know, our work that we've done, you know, scientific typey work, sciencey stuff, has um, demonstrated that it's exceptionally good for you. And, you know, I talked a little bit about you know, circling back to these studies we've done with all these lifestyle interventions. Um, the dose of, of goodness. Uh, that you get, maybe that's a decent way to put it from backcountry hunting is, is extremely powerful, um, and difficult to replicate in these structured types of interventions. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the power of the, that dose, there's nothing magical about it. It's just that, you know, generally speaking, when we go to the gym and exercise, we might burn, at best, three to five hundred calories. Mm-hmm. Well, we know from our backcountry hunting studies that people are getting four to five times that dose in one day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so you're packing four or five just by times. doing
0: what you're doing. Exactly,
1: yeah. and so that that puts a little bit of a, a context to it, without making it exceptionally difficult to to understand from a scientific perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the point is, if you're willing to learn, enjoy learning, and you're willing to be active uh, then it's going to be enjoyable to you and it's going to be good for you at the same time. And that's, that's something that's, that's just been attractive to me for, you know, going on, gosh, it's amazing. Three decades now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. It's, uh, yeah, been great to, to get to shoot the shit and catch up with you. Did you have, do you, do you have any, um, like any, any single hunt up here that stands out to you, like most memorable, it could be almost in any way, like coolest or the most punishing hunt you've been on, uh, dragon, dragon rafts or,
1: <laughs> um, I would say, you know, the, the most punishing hunt was probably that 13 days in a tent. Not, yeah. not because, not because being in a tent with my wife yeah. and being confined, but just being confined.
0: Oh, that's, that's yeah. hard. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I mean, I think you and I've discussed this before, you know, one of the, one of the really challenging, um, components of, of backcountry hunting is scenarios like that. Mm-hmm. It, it's easy to walk up a mountain relative to something like that and from my from my perspective now don't get me wrong after you've walked up four or five mountains you might want to stay in the tent for a couple of days i get Mm -hmm. that i understand that and i'll be right there with it but prolonged experiences like that are very very difficult and i think are, are so difficult that when that 14th day when the sun finally comes out the individual's like oh my gosh we i'm gonna get, get out of here, here. <laughs> instead of going oh my gosh the sun's out it's time to hunt yeah and that that's really really difficult um, yeah
0: i think and i think probably over the years of doing it one of the most important things for you know both like you know whether you're talking success and killing something or just having a good experience or you know look being able to look back on an experience positively because sometimes they just freaking suck um is being able to keep you know you and well and some that's something you could look for in a hunting partner and you know, talking about that is being able to handle adversity and like keep your composure <laughs> Or, you know, if you got to have an outlet and go throw some rocks and cuss, you know, yeah. you can do that, get it out of your system and, and be able to, you know, kind of uh, keep your head in the game sounds kind of cliche, but you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. mean, some people can't, I mean, they're like, we people do weird stuff under, under duress sometimes under or pressure, situations yeah. where you're, you know, you're just uncomfortable and you've got this huge looming task over you you know so i mean some pack outs have been just freaking horrendous you know where the, the weather turns to shit and you're just packing out in the snow and you can't see anything and yeah um
1: you're worried you're concerned yeah. that you got that stress layered onto the you know environmental stress Yep. um you know you asked kind of the worst case scenario the the flip side of the best case scenario as uh, Shereen and I went on this, I'm sorry to bring her up so much, but no, she's, no. she's kind of my hunting yeah, partner, yeah. so more often than not. Um, but uh, she and I did a goat hunt this year, and I'd scratched three times on goats. Yeah. Uh, in other words, came away unsuccessful. One time because of weather, could have shot two, but couldn't have gotten to mm-hmm. them, if, even if killed them. Yeah. And then another time I got really, really bad sick. And uh, then the third time, we just could not get on them yeah and so this is really my fourth goat hunt and sheree goes with me and we get there and it's beautiful we fly into this area on kodiak and beautiful and we saw some you know saw some goats as we were coming in okay this is looking pretty good wake up the next morning it's raining sideways i'm like oh great here we go again well, long story short is we ended up taking two goats. Uh, I got one because it was my turn to mm-hmm. shoot. We talked about that yeah. a little bit. That comes from my waterfowl experience. You know, we'd do that. We'd take turns on singles and doubles.
0: And as as you specified, it means turn to shoot,
1: not turn to kill.
0: <laughs> That's right. If you miss, it's back
1: to me. You know, and so you know, it's my turn to shoot. I got got my uh, goat, my first goat, and. Um, then uh got it back uh to camp or whatever and then it rained and snowed and carried on and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I was wanting to read at least yeah. to get an opportunity and then we had another little narrow weather break and got up there and um uh uh was able to 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 knock she was able to knock one down, but it wasn't until it almost had run and jumped off the cliff on the other side. Cool. And it took me about two hours to get the thing back up on oh, to the man. top side of the mountain, which is, it's close to sketchy. In fact, I told her, I said, I, I, I need to check our life insurance policy yeah. when I get home, to see <laughs> if you updated it right yeah. before this hunt. Uh, but anyway, all joking aside, we were able to get it out and, you know, she's 62 uh, and able to, as you know, as, and and carried her, you know, half her goat out. Yeah. So, uh, that was, that was the flip side of, a, you know. Uh, the, the circumstances and that one of the sh- one of the sheep hunts that we're been on but it just goes to show like i say you know there's randomness and just involved and just being willing to go okay the cards it's it's kind of like a card game and mm-hmm. i don't really even like cards but i, I t- tend to enjoy the card game when it comes to hunting yeah and you just deal with the ones that you get dealt and make the best of it and yep. if you walk away with you know nothing that's just the way it yeah, something. It's
0: eventually going to happen. Yeah. yeah, if yeah you to anybody. So yeah, that's a yeah. Goat hunting. Well, goat hunting's a whole nother. See, you know, some you could you could have beautiful weather. The or you, yeah, it could be just shitty. My first wasn't. No, it wasn't my first goat hunt. Yeah, every single one of them, we've had some shitty weather to deal with. But my second one, that one that's out on the wall here. Um, on the pack frame, we, what, it was in the Chugach and we got landed in there on a glacier, had to camp on the ice. There wasn't nowhere to, I mean, no, even relatively horizontal ground anywhere. (laughs) So we just kind of found a depression to try and get it down out of the wind. And the next, the next day, the first day we could hunt was clear. The wind was just howling, but it was clear and found that goat and killed him. And then we were stuck in the tent for like seven, six or seven days straight just raining and just driving. It was that was a bit, it was bit when this big storm knocked out all the power in Anchorage for a couple of days. Oh, yeah. so it was like a hundred plus mile an hour winds. Yeah, I don't know really. what it was up there, but, you know, we were okay. But uh, laying on the ice and the ice had started to like kind of melt underneath you. Mm-hmm. And just it, by the end of it, it was so horribly uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah,
1: that doesn't But, uh,
0: yeah, that was one of the, yeah, they tried and they tried to pick us up one day and, couldn't the wind was still you know it wasn't blowing hard where we were at but when they tried to come in it was blowing too hard and they had to turn around and i was that was my breaking point for that particular moment. i threw a few rocks and then <laughs> and then yeah climbed in the tent and got over it but uh yeah and then that that goat man that was i'd work pretty hard for that nanny surprise so deceivingly hard yeah you know oh yeah i'll be up there to the can make it up there to shoot in about 20 minutes and like an hour and a half later you are up there shoot and then take you two hours to get to the goat that's 200 yards away yeah. <laughs> type yeah. of deal so yeah i fully can visualize
1: <laughs> yeah it's it, those are you know those uh, the sheep and the goats were really the thing that that i had the the greatest fascination with yeah. coming up here and I devoted most of my you know most of my time and uh, uh to to achieving those goals and then and then the other things like i mean i think the, the baiting bears here that's gray hunting oh yeah and and they you know they they kind of get a bad rap as as far as uh um their their value uh their edible value i guess yeah. if you want to call it or uh, there's probably a fancier cooking term for that that i just don't know but um but if people are able to learn how to prepare it well, it's it's really really good.
0: Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I like making sausage out of them, but there, yeah, there's some yeah ways to cook them. Like blackberry, generally, especially in the interior, spring blackberry meat's really good. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, I haven't. I've tried a few back when you had to bring the meat out. I tried a few of the grizzlies that I've killed, and I could none of the ones I've killed. I could. I mean, like they stink up the house when you try to cook it type of thing i mean there's some people that swear that that and you know i mean just i think generally black bears are going to be much more consistently good than grizzly bears because they don't eat the variety of nasty shit that grizzly bears usually do um but yeah maybe someday i'll change my mind on it but everyone i've scunned and i'll i'll smell Mm. the meat and Nah, not for me. Hard pass.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's usually if you just put your nose right on the on it and, you know, get a good whiff. You
0: yeah, know. you can smell whether meat's got, well yeah. in oh, like, you know, fish bears, you know, mm-hmm. the black bear that's been on a lot of fish. Like, you can smell that on mm-hmm. the meat, Yeah, in the meat, and uh, you can sure as shit taste it, it's awful. Yeah. But, uh, or, you know, like brown bear, get a brown bear that's been eaten on a dead whale. <laughs> 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 bad
1: yeah that doesn't even sound good even no if it did, even if it did smell good no you know.
0: i had we had there was one that we didn't actually they didn't kill him on the on this whale that had washed in i was in at, down in, on a fognac at the time and but they it was a bear he obviously had been eaten on this dead whale and Oh man, just fleshing that thing just burned your nose. And I mm. like the grease and fat, you know, gets all over your tools. Yeah. My Ulu's like the next, like it actually, cause I had my Ulu seated in, in this antler handle with epoxy. It ate the epoxy overnight. <laughs> like my oh Ulu's fell apart. I was like, holy shit. Wow. This is some potent bad stuff. But anyway, um, yeah, no, I think, man, the, the interior's got some, some really good black bear baiting and, well, and grizzly hunting too it's it's not necessarily easy but there's mm. some good hunting to be had if you but even with that like there's a learning curve to it
1: yeah definitely
0: you know and i don't i like to give people some value you know some information to get them off on the right foot if they ask but it's uh there's definitely some years of trial and error and figuring out where to put baits mm-hmm. and how to hunt them. Cause it's, it's anything but as simple as just throwing a bag of dog food out in the woods and, oh yeah, and going to, to wait on it. Um, yeah. Bears There's, are fun. That's probably one yeah. of my, I mean, I don't know. I love some sheep hunting, moose real. Now I got like some real moose hunting under my belt. Um, That's fun. But bear, yeah, I always look forward to bear baiting in the spring, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about it for the next three or four months till it really gets going again. But, yeah, well, your wife killed a a nice bear, was it last year?
1: Year before last. Year
0: before last. Yeah,
1: not far from Fairbanks. Yeah. And, And an area that I literally just went, hey, let's give it a try. Yeah. And, you know, I went in, I think, five days after I put it in and nothing. Seven days, nothing. Ten days, nothing. And the 12th day, it looked like, you know, every B-52 had also hit it. <laughs> I mean, it was just blown up. And I said, okay, you're getting out there um, and, and hunt this thing. And I had to literally, like, fly the next morning. Like, I took her in that after- the afternoon, and I had an 8 o'clock flight the next morning mm-hmm. uh, to the East Coast. Oh. <laughs> Work stuff, not anything fun. Yeah, and not that work isn't fun. Yeah, right? but I mean, I was flying over there for some federal government type, federal agency, mm-hmm. government agency type work. And um so, anyway, long story short, I took her out there, put it, got her in, the bay at like five or six in the afternoon or whatever, and said, "Okay, you can hunt till eleven thirty, and um then I'm, I'm going to come get you." Yeah. You know, at eleven thirty, like okay. And she texts me eleven fifteen, I shot a big one. Nice. And I'm like, Really? Okay. Well, I hope it's a big one. It'll <laughs> ever be a big one. Well, I got out there and um it, it was nice, really nice. Yeah. Best best one we've gotten so far. You know, yeah. and I don't know how many she's taken, but I'm so, I mean, probably count them up, but uh several, seven or eight, something yeah. like that. And the biggest one she's taken, really nice bear.
0: Yeah, there's some you know, there's some there's a lot there's probably more baits around fairbanks than there is bears Mm -hmm. but there's some nice bears running around but they're you know and hunting town like i could say quote unquote town bears bears Mm -hmm. that are around where there's a lot of baits and a lot of pressure they're pretty freaking smart in fact one of the biggest black bear track well one of the biggest black bear tracks i've ever seen was uh i used to when i actually used to go hike with a backpack frequently was up uh up on, on Birch Hill behind the cemetery there. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I haven't been tried there years Is before they knocked down all that timber and had that put the housing development there, but they're used to like drive down um whatever that street is goes behind the Mormon church there. Mm-hmm. Um and there's a little trail that walked it kind of went up the back side of the fence of the cemetery and up and up and met up with that that um, utility line, whatever mm-hmm. cut that you can see that goes right up Birch Hill yep. and just hike up there. And anyway, but it was somewhere in the woods between like above the cemetery and as it's kind of was cutting over there, I w- was hiking one morning and it had rained that evening. So like a light rain where the ground's just all spattered, like yep. fresh, yeah, talking dusty. About. Um, and I actually saw two sets of bear, black bear tracks. One was like a little, just a little guy. And the other one was, um, like six and three quarter inches across the front pad, which would be like over a seven foot bear if you're doing yeah. the plus one yep. method, which is usually pretty accurate. I mean, that's like right in town.
1: That's as big as you want. Yeah. No, <laughs> as big as you're going to get.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that is as big as you're going to get. Um, pretty much. I've, I kill, you know, one bear I killed when I was 18 was squared at eight foot and he was just a freak. Like I'll never kill another black bear's, you know, maybe somewhere Southeast or something, but mm-hmm. not in the interior on there. But, and then I, uh, saw that track and then what, a couple years ago in the spring on uh, undisclosed river, I saw <laughs> a, uh, a black bear track that was like, it was almost eight inches across. I couldn't believe it. It was as big as a grizzly bear track, but it was definitely a black bear. Mm. So there's always that. One out there that you'll never (laughs) see—it's kind of you know part of the intriguing thing uh, of—I don't know—that's fun.
1: Yeah, to me, I think one of the things that that I really like about uh black bear hunting is you get to watch a lot of animal behavior. Yeah. Because you know sometimes you think, well, I'm only going to see one bear. I can't tell you how many little cubs I've seen come in, jump inside the bait barrel, you know, and. And it's just a show. Yeah,
0: and you get to see bear vocalization, like real quiet, just stuff you would never even knew went on, which is cool. You know, even if you're not shooting them. And you just, you also, you never know what's going to happen or what's going to show up. Like black bears have a reputation for being fairly habitual and maybe in some, Mm -hmm. you know, some areas they are more than, more than others. But I mean, I've had, what, not this last spring, but the spring before, sitting there had one bear come in and there had been a pair of boars coming in and it was pretty early and I'm like, yeah, well, that's a pretty nice boar," and I'm shooting him running on, you know, drag, making all sort of racket, get him loaded up in my sled, drag him back to the boat and I'm hauling more bait in and I walk in there, and the big, and the big one standing at the bait, you know, yeah. eight, 10 yards away, looking at me I'm like, Oh man, that is a big bear. <laughs> <laughs> and, I thought, you know, I would had my, pit, well, I, uh, no, I think at that point I just had my pistol on me because I figured everything had been run out, but I don't know how many times that's happened, you'd think I would learn, but. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny how sometimes they can be so skittish and yeah. other times just like there was a time we we're, uh, in hunting a bait and I had three up in the stand and I was kind of cooking up some stuff to put, you know, put on yep. the bait and. And then let her sit there, you know, all night and in the morning or whatever. And um, she's like, Trey, Trey. And I turn around I'm like, what is it? You know, and look up there and pointing. <laughs> and she couldn't get a shot at it. And the thing was looking at me as maybe 12 yards away, just looking at me like you know, it's a pretty good size black yeah. bear. And he's like, and I was just thinking to myself later uh his his thought process was probably are you done yet i mean come on i'm ready i'm ready to eat this stuff get out of the way yeah (laughs) no
0: they uh yeah um like i can think of several bears black bears even that i've spent like kind of hanging off my tree stand trying to get my bow drawn back on them and they'll spook and Mm -hmm. come back in and spook and spook and then you know, and you're making all sort of rack, and you walk, walk up and one's standing right there and he doesn't want he. And you can't run them off. You know? <laughs> yeah.
1: I just don't want to go anywhere.
0: Yeah. They're each one of them's different, but anyway, we better, I don't mean to, don't mean to kick you out of here. We probably better wrap this one
1: up, that but man, good. it's
0: been great. It's been great catching up with you. I'm glad I finally got you over and we'll have to do it, do it again more frequently. It's always fun talking about hunting.
1: Absolutely. Enjoyed and, it, uh, Tyler.
0: Yeah. Appreciate you appreciate you doing that and I'll uh, I'll try to get get links to a couple of your studies for people to go check out too. I mean they're okay. really pretty freaking cool and yeah. it's really cool that you get to get to study stuff that's and do do cool science stuff on stuff that's like pertinent to what you what your passion is. So
1: yeah, well thanks. I appreciate that.
0: Well, maybe that sounds weird. I'm freaking terrible at this, but what I meant to <laughs> I'm like thinking of what I'm what thinking about what I'm saying and You would be doing you'd be studying what your passion is regardless. I'm glad that what you're studying is also what I (laughs) relates to what I'm passionate about. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well I I get it. I mean (laughs) it's it's
1: a it's one of those things where, you know, the other work that I've done throughout my career, you might look at that and go, Okay, yeah, whatever. But then you can look at this and you know, I can take some of the the methodologies that we use in, in those circumstances or in those scenarios, those settings and apply it to something that's more interesting. Yeah, and more relevant, really more relevant, and therefore more interesting.
0: Yeah. No. Well. Anyway, it's great talking to you. I better yeah, shut. Absolutely. I better shut this down before I before I say something else stupid. So, <laughs> all right, everybody, uh, appreciate you listening. And if you enjoy Thunder Talk, uh, appreciate if you leave a good review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. And I will get out of here now. Thank you.